views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Dr. Pacho Transformation Talk Radio, all of the above. Um, you know, I got to tell you, I'm super, super excited today for a lot of reasons. Um, but most importantly, to bring a message that affects all of us, if we choose it to. I am so thrilled to have Dr. Uh, Amit Goswami joining me here today with the great book, Everything Answer Book, Everything Answer Book, How Quantum Science Explains Love, Death, and the Meaning of Life. And as I was reading this book, I was really struck by uh, the first time he and I chatted like many, many years ago. And I thought about how uh, Dr. Goswami's work has changed the, the landscape of the way we get to choose to look at our lives. And I remember in the conversations and for myself, where I was in my healing journey. And I remember a moment where I thought, wait a minute, I can choose something different here. I can choose something that's going to heal. I can choose to do a radio show 14 years now that is informative, educational, uplifting, fun, and still talk about serious things. And I remember in a conversation that he and I had way back, it was just that. We have enormous capacity to choose. So today, you know, he talks about in this book, amazing work he's done, professor of physics, retired from University of Oregon, but he talks about what it is that we could know, not just for today, but the future, also to understand consciousness, God, psychology, death, the meaning of life. And what is it now that others are now chiming in on that he has laid the groundwork for? Well, that's what today is about. If you're thinking right now, my situation, what's going on in my life, Everything that's happened to me, none of that, none of what you all are going to talk about today is going to help me. I'd like you to think again. Dr. Goswami, great to have you here. Welcome to the show. All that good to be with you, Pat. You know, in your book, and I'm going to start out in a really interesting place. In your book, 
I was reading about evolution and purpose. And I was reading about the chart that you had in here and the Big Bang. And here's what I was struck by. I used to work at Bell Laboratories and I worked at Bell Laboratories for 24 and a half years. And one of the jobs I had was delivering mail at for $61 a week, delivering mail at Bell Labs to some of the scientists that I now know groundbreaking. One of the guys that I delivered mail to was um, the gentleman you know, Arno Penzias, right? The gentleman that discovered the Big mm-hmm. Bang. Yes, three-degree radiation. There we right. go. And, and, the, and I want to talk to you about this, because if you were to meet this gentleman who drove like a th- 1948 Buick, he would have the energy and the feel of one of the kindest, gentler, gentlest person. He used to bring in bagels. And I want to ask you, his discovery of the Big Bang, how pivotal was that? And what kind of person discovers a Big Bang, Dr. Goswami? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, people who are interested in big questions, uh, mm-hmm. they are indeed a different brand of person. <laughs> um, so that is the first thing to notice. Um, you know, Einstein's big story. At the age of five, he was ill uh, in the hospital, and his father brought him a compass and uh he immediately became curious how the needle always point to the north. And uh, somehow he thought that the universe, if the universe can reach out to the compass, it can reach out to him as well, and it must. So these people, you know, and I'm very um, hopeful uh, to assume that I'm one of those people too, and so yes. are you. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they just dance to a tune which can be called the movement of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I hope, you know, our conversations today will uh, wake more people up towards that movement, uh, which is a movement of choice, choice with the big questions, big questions like meaning and purpose of life. And, um, you know, Dr. Penzias had it big from early life. He must have it big. I've never met him, but of course his work revolutionized um, astrophysics and cosmology. Yeah. The reason I bring him up is because I'm really struck by many things that you've written in this book. But here's the thing. I'm really struck by the notion that our mission right now is about consciousness. And, you know, consciousness that We don't have to be sitting on the top of a mountain to share, to explore. Can you tell us how to move beyond the myth that having a role in the consciousness evolution is only for a handful of people? Yeah, this is the biggest myth uh, that goes around, and I do not know how this uh, myth is created. Everybody, please recognize that the very fact that we all have conscious awareness, doesn't that tell you something? I mean, consciousness is one of the uh, few things that is um, an experience which all of us have, and 
it is a subtle experience. I mean, there is just no gross way that we can measure uh, consciousness, mm-hmm. for example. I mean, this is the reason that the average scientist has so much difficulty, because average scientist knows how to measure objects. But uh, conscious awareness, have you noticed, it comes with a subject. We later objectify, of course, we objectify mm-hmm. us, I, as me, and that objectification unfortunately produces bad tendencies, selfish tendencies in us. We recognize anymore that we have a commonality um, in terms of that I experience. And if we hold on to that I experience and dig deeper, then we um, become aware of many, many things such as we'll talk about, and you already have touched base on it. Uh, in other words, we have a transactional uh, way of life centered on me, which is objectification of me and everybody, or we can take a consciousness-centered life centered on the I that is not an object, but a subject that experiences objects, and then go deep, because how did this come about? How does this subject experience come about? That question is so basic. And, you know, fortunately, quantum physics can tackle it because it took us thousands of years, literally, uh, since um, people we call mystics, the great founders of our civilization, Buddha, Jesus, these are the people I'm talking about, Socrates, Plato. Um, These people, the founders of our civilization, they experienced the deep levels of consciousness about three to 5,000 years ago, and ever since, we have been looking for scientific explanation. And finally, we have a structure of uh, understanding, a worldview, how this could happen, how consciousness could arise as a self in the brain. And this is just enormous. And if we know this, and if we know how to investigate, explore this eye, you know, as you say, we choose, we learn to choose, and then we can change the world. We can change ourselves and change the world. Yeah. You know, what I love about not just this conversation, but, you know, how beautifully you've laid out the conversation in the book. And what I was really struck by is um, the introduction. For many people, they may not have heard the term before, and I'd like to talk about it. Um uh, biological blueprints. And I love the way you've talked about this because, you know, if you open up the book and you get to a chapter like this or a subchapter like this, you certainly are not expecting to find the seven ma- major chakras on the next page. But I did <laughs> find that. <laughs> yes. The, the explanation of the chakras, explanation of vital energy and how they are experienced as centers like the chakras, which, of course, everybody today knows, um, but heart chakra is acknowledged even by scientific materialists because the experience of love in that chakra is just so strong that hardly anybody can deny it. So how does it arise? And one of the big accomplishments of the new science that is developing, that is replacing slowly but surely the old Newton-based science, but this is a quantum-based science, uh, you know, we explain vital energy. We can explain the subtle vital energy that comes to us in connection with life. Living beings have 
vital energy, energy, a characteristic energy of life. Non-living objects don't have this energy. They are only material energies. This is an energy that comes with life, just as mind comes with life and intuition comes with life. So these are very important recognition of not only our sensory experiences, uh, which is somewhat mechanical, but our um, subtle experiences that constitute what we call the psyche. So we now have a unique uh, approach to psychology. We can fully recognize the science of psychology, which you didn't have so far. So, you know, you can understand easily, Pat, because you have been thinking about these things for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but many people worry, you know, the psyche is our big place where we live. Um, yes, we live in the outside um, arena, too, and ecology is important. But Arnie Ness uh, pointed out some time ago that ecology has to give way to deep ecology, where we not only worry about the outer ecosystem, but also the inner experience of the psyche, where yeah. we mainly live, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I was reading in your book and you mentioned Carl Jung and synchronicity. And, you know, sometimes when people look at synchronicity, they're looking at the outside world always, right? Outside world. But I'm really struck by sort of the, you know, syncretic way that our inner aspects of who we are work together as well. Yes. And I wanted you to talk about that a little bit because we often look at, oh, we look at, wow, gee, I just happened to be here. But we rarely look at the synchronicity that may be within us. Can you, can, am I off base with that? Or what do no, you no. think? No, you, you no, were, you were very right. The reason synchronicity is so important for us to notice is that the coincidence of a physical event that arouses a mental meaning in me coincidentally. It is just so striking because I certainly could not possibly plan for the physical event to occur. Physical mm -hmm. events are outside of my choice. You know, when we talk about choosing, we are um, completely acknowledged, we have to acknowledge the material scientist's concern that nobody chooses anything in the macro world of matter. Things are more or less Newtonian. They live in Newtonian ways. We can affect them a little bit sometimes, like, you know, uh, psychics can uh, influence the role of dice in casinos, and casino owners know it too today. They don't allow psychics to play if they knew that there is a psychic. So those things are allowed, but those are just very little effects. Big changes in the macro world of matter, we cannot influence. However, the uh, world in our psyche is entirely different story. The thing that the materialist misses is that our inside experiences, the experience of the psyche, they are all subtle. They are quantum. Mm -hmm. And it, this is where the quantum worldview comes into our life in a major way. Yeah. So what is striking about synchronicity, and you know Carl Jung almost uh, discovered the quantum message. I mean, he himself, yeah. really, I call him the precursor of quantum physics, yeah. because he was the first one to say that, look, synchronicity is the proof that a material experience and a mental experience are simultaneously occurring, and that must have significance, which must mean that they are due to a common cause, and that common cause he called world 
sold. Now, you know, the word sold has many connotations, so that concept never caught on. But when you realize that what Jung was calling world soul is nothing but our consciousness in its primary cosmic being, then uh, a new worldview can be created on that basis. And that is the quantum worldview. Yeah. You know, I'm re- I, I, I came across, uh, it's funny we're talking about this because it really leads to the next chat I want to have with you about Zen and quantum physics. And I was reading a letter that Carl Jung wrote uh, later on in his life. And, and he admits in the letter um, that, I mean, in his language, um, he says, I was misunderstood, in, and I'm, I'm quoting him. He said, I was misunderstood in every possible way. And he goes on to say, thus, I, have, I was very careful uh, when I talked, how he really thought about it. And he goes on to say, he wished he would have said more. He wished he wouldn't have, have held back. And I wanted to ask you about that because we hold back. Um, in the chapter you wrote, Zen and Quantum Physics, here's what I was struck by. You know, the idea of two months, um, two monks arguing reminds me of an argument I had with one of my doctors back in 2004 when m- my doctor presented a case and I presented a different case. But what I'm struck by is how we can have different perspectives. How do we choose the perspective that's going to get us to a greater level of consciousness. Isn't that the key? That is the case, yes. And if we could always understand that, that people's perspective is what uh, holds people up, then we could be open about about that. And this is um, uh, has entered our consciousness, to give some credit, you know, uh, people do talk about um, getting stuck in a box and getting out of the box. So that's what people mean, uh, that their context is wrong. That that wrong context, the popular language is uh, in-box thinking. And then you have to change your context, and that requires the creative quantum leap. That is gradually entering the greater consciousness. And this is helping the quantum worldview very much because, you know, in Newtonian physics, you cannot do this. Newtonian physics, there is several things. First, consciousness cannot enter. There is no role for consciousness except as a dual object, which, of course, nobody likes. Mm-hmm. And then um, the second thing is creativity is not allowed. Everything fundamentally is uh, determined, and so there is no real role for creativity. It's all pretend role. Uh, scientists originally thought everything happens by rational thinking. They call it scientific method, and that is consistent. Now scientists try to pretend that there is creativity because brain acts some mysterious caverns and all that, and some people yeah. can access it. All that is baloney. I mean, it just, uh, it's just uh, imagination, uh, and, and scientific materialists do a lot of that. Um, in the guise of scientific explanation, that they're not explanation, they're pseudoscience their own word. Um, so how to make all this scientific? This is where quantum physics comes in. And the recognition that our mental experiences, the experiences of the psyche, are all quantum experience. Happen because there are potentiality of consciousness other than the physical potentiality. There are potentialities of vital energies, 
in the form of this biological blueprint that you are talking about, which mm-hmm. Rupert Sheldrake calls morphogenetic fields. And then we have mental meaning, and then we have these archetypes like love, beauty, justice, truth. Those are the major, major potentialities that can have tremendous transformational effect on our life. Yeah. And, but yeah. that's what I talk about mainly in the in Everything Answer Book. Everything Answer Book, because we now can include these experiences uh, in our uh, rendition of what the world is about. And so the transformational aspects of the world, you know, how to deal with the human condition, how to deal with our negative emotions, how to deal with this me that I talked about before, how to deal with our tendency to maximize pleasure and lose sight of subtler ways to be happy. And these are the things, these are the vehicles of transformation, and, and, and that's very important for everyone to recognize. Why are we shortchanging ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was I was I was reading your book yesterday, and then I, I I did a show yesterday with a doctor in New York, and you know she's um uh, uh, her area of expertise uh, for people that know her is you know she's a neurophysiologist I guess she's a neuroscientist and and she is doing groundbreaking work. Uh, in the area of Lyme disease, and she came out and she said the following. And the reason I want to share this, because I was really struck by what you wrote about disease and uh, the four uh, compartments of possibility. And she came out and she said, yeah, the way we're looking at something like an illness, for example, in peace parts, why aren't we looking at and treating the whole treating everything. So in the world she lives in, the possibilities are so out of the realm about the way we look at disease. Mm -hmm. And what she's saying is, we actually need to treat every infection all at once, every aspect of this all at once. And I would love for you to talk about this because when I read these four compartments of possibility, I just thought if nothing else comes out of our talk today, boy, we should really introduce this one to the world. Absolutely. And this is a very important one to talk about. This is the big mistake that we usually make. The physical body is certainly the most obvious, the most compulsory, compelling and therefore, we, um, you know, our scientists generally, but even the layperson, uh, for no reason at all, just get uh, too overwhelmed, I guess, by the, by the physical presence of the physical body, the brain, for example. It seems like, you know, everything can be brain activity, but that is the brainwashing we do to ourselves. It is very clear, if we are a little subtle, that beside the brain, there is this eye experience brain is an object. It can be broken down into objects. That is the claim. But um, suppose uh, such a thing was possible, but because then everything that the brain does would be also object, uh, because it can be broken down into objects, so the whole is only the objects. So this idea that whole has to be greater than parts if the whole has to act as a whole, that has to come. And the brain does act as a whole because um, it uh, houses 
consciousness in such a way that uh, we feel identified with that there is an I experience associated with the brain. So that's the first thing. The, the holistic is compulsory. As soon as you have recognized that there is an I experience which is beyond the objects, there must be something in the brain that is holistic, that cannot be broken down. That's the first thing. And then that something has to be due to something that is not the brain. So already we introduced the idea that the world has more potentiality than just the material potentiality. So what other kinds of potentiality do we have? Of course, there is this potentiality of wholeness itself. That is the ground of being. We call it consciousness because obviously the self cannot come without it. And then we find that we have other experiences. Where do they come from? Immediately we start expanding the idea of the material, and we examine the point. The first thing we notice about ourselves is that we are alive. We are different from a rock. We are alive. We have these vital energies that we feel, vitality. That's mm -hmm. what separates us. Mm -hmm. So we immediately realize that must be a vital body that we have, which must be uh, connected with the physical so immediately we are concerned, okay, vital, physical. Maybe the vital is the blueprint of the physical functioning of the body. So that idea immediately gives us the idea that physical, that what we thought physical and um, uh, healing of the physical, it cannot even be considered in full unless we have recognized that the physical always comes with the vital as a pair. And so um, what, when a physical thing goes wrong, it could be due to also the vital component, vital part of that pair going wrong or something going wrong in the connection of the vital and the physical. So um, immediately your outlook of disease changes. And then you realize, but there is also this mental which processes meaning. And if we give wrong meaning to things, then uh, our perception of the vital energies will change. Our perspective for looking at the vital and the physical uh, will be affected by wrong mental meaning. Uh, my favorite example is that often what happens, a person's love object or love subject, I should say, uh, dies, um, like a uh, mother um, mm -hmm. who loses a child. Yeah. And you know, people are greatly affected by this. They sometimes eliminate love from their life for quite a while. I read Dear Abby because it's a great inroad to psychology of ordinary people, how they live. And so many uh, people talk about this bereavement and exclusion of love from their life. But you know, if you exclude life, immune system goes all right. I talk about this um, quite a bit in Everything Answer book. And uh, that can be very serious business because the immune system behavior goes awry if you lock off love because you put a wrong meaning out of an event in your life. You know, um, this is so serious. And so, yeah. you know, women have an epidemic of breast cancer. I have been very concerned about it. Yeah. And really, it is due to the blocking of love. Uh, in women's life uh, to a large extent for a variety of reasons. I mean, yeah. but, but one has to realize this, we don't, we don't have to choose to, to block love because we have lost a very fantastic love uh, subject in our lives. I mean, that, is yeah. a, that is a choice which is up to us. And I wish that I could, I could, I could teach every parent, every 
love her, not to block love because you have lost one person that loved you when you loved them. Um, there are other people too, and we have potentiality for establishing love with any person. That is what it means to be a human. And so if one just knew this, you know, in a scientific materialist world, we, we, we block that information. Where do you find that information except shows like yours and <laughs> internet? You cannot find it in the mainstream media. No, they do no, not talk can't. about love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's fascinating we're talking about this because, you know, if, in my opinion, if creativity is the next frontier of consciousness, and that's just, those are my words, then what is it that we're doing to compromise that? Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the creative principle. You know, what is it? And how do you activate it? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. How would you like increased health and vitality? How would you like to avoid the onset of disease as well as slow the aging process? This is all possible through a simple, safe, and natural process. Every day we are either moving toward wellness or away from wellness. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. I'd like to be your partner in achieving optimal health. Contact me now at MaryJaneMack.com or call 425-392-0659. Visit MaryJaneMack.com. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Stephan each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Tune in to the hit show, Mouthing Off with Chef Rossi. Chef Rossi mouths off about different subjects in pursuit of breaking down walls and opening up your minds. She and Dr. Pat banter back and forth, taking from the headlines of the day on subjects that reach beyond what goes on in the world into your hearts. And go to theragingskillet.com to find out more and let Chef Rossi know what's on your mind. Miss any shows during the week? Don't worry, we've got you covered. With the free Transformation Talk radio app, you'll have access to all of the past week's shows in the palm of your hand. Tune in to Transformation Talk radio anywhere you go with our free app for any of your devices. Check out our app in the App Store and Google Play Store today. Calling all moms, it's time to awaken your vibrant, intuitive, loving self in every area of your life. Join host Debbie Pokornik as she shares thoughts, stories, and tools to help you stand in your power. Listen to Vibrant Powerful Moms Helping Everyday Women Create Extraordinary Lives, Mondays at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. For more information about Debbie, visit EmpoweringEnergy.com. 
That's empowering with letters N-R-G.com. Gifted intuitive healer and spiritual teacher, Sarah Luce, brings her unique style to the hit show, Small Steps, Big Breakthrough Radio on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune in each month as Sarah turns reality on end and shows us how to experience expansive results with simple yet powerful steps. Expect an enlightening bend on what you currently believe is possible. For show details and upcoming topics, visit SarahLoose.com. That's S-A-R-A-L-O-O-S.com. Brand consultant Jen Morgan is here with Radically Distinct Radio to help you take control of your future and maximize your brand's power to produce results. Whether you're an individual trying to reinvent yourself and launch a new venture, or you're an executive trying to reposition your company to modernize your sales and marketing programs, Jen Morgan and the Rad Method empower you to play to your strengths and show up in the world as your most powerful brand. To learn more, go to jenmorgan.com, that's Jen with two N's, morgan.com, or call 206 9 Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. I'm telling you, if you're just tuning in, I am so thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Goswami today. The book that I have in front of me, I just absolutely love this. Uh, The Everything Answer Book. The Everything Answer Book. Um, How Quantum Science Explains Love, Death, and the Meaning of Life. And what I love about what Dr. Goswami has done is... He's looked at some of the most impending aspects of our lives and has literally written out an invitation for us to participate in many, many ways. And so when we think about this and we think about having an everything answer book, it is a way for us to look at this book, look what's in it, see what we resonate with. And then take action accordingly. Um, Dr. Goswami, what is the best way for people to find out more about you? And, I, you know, the book is pretty much on sale everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, Amazon.com, of course, comes to mind immediately. But, yep. you know, I mean, um, all the yep. main channels have it. Exactly. Yeah. And for those of you out there, all you need to do is you can go to our website, the Dr. Pacho Transformation Talk Radio, and just click on his picture, and it'll take you everywhere. Um, creativity. But I do have a website, which is uh, yes, amitgoswami.org, A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org. Perfect. So there, um, all events that I do, all my books, uh, many blogs that I write, and, you know, quantum worldview is changing our approach to everything, medicine especially, but definitely also economics, politics, and mm-hmm. um, like right now, I know that people are very concerned about what is happening in politics, and oh, yeah. you can you can get some very definite answers, very provocative answers if you look at the quantum worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to my blog, it, it, go to my website, it's really a really a rewarding experience, I can promise it's, 
It's fabulous. And if you do go there, and I want to make sure all of you have it, it's Amit Goswami, A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org. And if you go there, you're also going to be able to find out some of the upcoming conferences, events. The blog is fabulous. Um, uh, And, you know, I want to just, I want to talk about this because we just mentioned it. You're absolutely right. People are so concerned right now levels of concern that they could have never predicted right at the moment let's say Mm -hmm. all sorts of things that they're absorbing into their consciousness and you know what i'm struck by is yeah we're absolutely looking at these events as if we have no choice sort of a helplessness complex Mm -hmm. and no real creative options and I want to know what you you think about that because you write a whole chapter on the creative principle. Yes, and well, this is the basis. Uh, the human creativity is uh, very uh, multi-dimensional, and the immediate way that it comes is the two domains of reality we learn to we learn to use it, and this is not obvious. Because today we live in a materialist uh, worldview, very confused by uh, this Newtonian worldview, which is trying to convince us for the last 400 years that there is only space-time and matter moving in space and time, and that's it. That's reality. No, quantum physics absolutely experimentally verified way tells us that there is a uh, experimentally verified world of non-locality where the ability of signalless communication exists. Now, this is the important thing, and this requires very, very little awareness of science. Quantum physics says all objects are waves. We see them as localized particles when we measure them. Waves can be in all kinds of places at the same time. Particles cannot. They are always localized in one place. That's the difference. So where do waves live? After many, many misgivings, we now absolutely verify quantum theory says that, and also experiment says it, that waves, these waves of potentiality that all objects are, they live in a domain called domain of potentiality, where non-locality, where things can be at once, and things can be all interconnected because it is all one thing. And that one thing, this non-locality, is the revolutionary concept that you have to get into your new worldview. Once you have that, you recognize immediately, I don't have to do everything in this world where I am separate. I can also take the help of the world where I am one with everything, one with the universe. And that's a much bigger eye. That that eye has much more power of manifestation and creative power than I can ever master in this space-time world. So the quantum way of exploring creativity is completely different than how a Newtonian would approach a problem. Newtonian can only approach a problem as a separate person. But we can approach a problem both as a conscious separate person and well, and also as that unity consciousness, which is very, very powerful. So 
so powerful that ancient people call it omnipotent. Mm. Uh, omnipotent, we can argue, but um, the point is it's much more powerful depending on how much room we have made in our unconscious for it to, for it to be alive and well. Um, so we clean up our unconscious just a little bit, and we'll talk about cleaning it up. The way to do it is analyze dreams and explore dreams. Uh, I talk about that a lot in yeah. the Everything Answer book. Um, but uh, once you do that, then this alternative approach of conscious processing and unconscious processing, because that domain of potentiality is what psychologists call unconscious, because we are one with everything. We are not separate. The state of unconsciousness. So when we are separate, we, are, we have awareness, conscious awareness. In the unconscious, we have no awareness of I separate from the rest of the world. That's the difference. So the, this two-level way that creativity works, very simple way of thinking. When we do, we are in the conscious, separate reality. When we don't do, when we are just into being, and are you into being? Very often, if you're slow, you are into being, because yeah. in between you're doing, the moments of being automatically enter. So when you are not thinking, when you are not sensing, when you are not feeling, where are you? You are into being. You are just in the unconscious without even realizing because you are awake and all that. You think you are conscious every moment? No, you are not. <laughs> That's not the way the brain works. That's not the way that you work. And to the way to live creatively, the first thing we do is we meditate. The idea of meditating is important because it slows us down. The idea of yoga, tai chi, all those exercises that opens your mind. Why do they open your mind? Because they slow you down. So that's the key. And the other key is do, be, do, be, do. Live mm -hmm. your life as a relaxed doing. Intersperse your doing episodes with being episodes, relaxed episodes. And that changes you into a creative person rather than a, a conditioned person of only transactional way of living. Creativity means you are choosing a life of transformation. Creativity means you are choosing a meaningful life of exploration of meaning and exploration of archetypes like love. What would you choose? I, mean, I don't think there is any, I mean, that question is so trite. Of course you yeah. would choose the latter. I mean, there's no way that anybody is just conditioning that uh, giving up your choice. Voluntarily you want to give up your choice? Come on. We fought a whole bunch to get freedom, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, and part of this is not having the realization that we have those choices. See, you know, I don't know when uh, in my life I, I had the moment where I discovered, wait a minute, I could choose something different. Um, and there's a chapter in the book that I want to make sure we, we talk about a little bit, something you talk about in the book. Um, and I also think this is, again, one of these misunderstood, let's just call it concepts. You talk about directionality and God's will. And we're, we hear that a lot, God's will, God's will. And sometimes we hear it as that which is also inside of us. Other times we hear it as that which is outside of us. Tell us how the directionality in God's will reflects upon 
you know, uh, and connects to the quantum science of life? Yes, very important question. Thank you for asking it. So, um, here is the counterpart, and, you know, we have to criticize the uh, religions a little bit, too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, most of my criticism goes to scientific materialism because they are even more limited than the religions and create more confusion than religions. But religions also create confusion by this concept of God's will. Because the way look at, religions look at it, um, when we are choosing or when we are being creative, they um, make the source of creativity as a god, and then they try to convince us that this, this god is outside of us. Mm. And that's what creates the confusion. So we think God's will is, has nothing to do with my will. But then it has nothing to do with my will, then in creativity, I'm not choosing, it's God choosing for me, another kind of determinism. And then that suppose that God is the God the way that theologians picture it, God uh, as a white guy with a beard uh, sitting on a throne in outer space. You know, that is the kind of God a scientist can refute, and we are confused. And also that is the kind of God that, you know, white people, white men uh, today in America, in middle America especially, uh, they see as a symbol of their superiority over the rest of the people. Because after all, uh, God is not anything else, he's a white man. So white men must be the, you know, most preferred people of uh, God's universe. So this kind of racism, the domination idea, therefore we can do, dominate everybody else, uh, women, other races, all these ideas that Western civilization has for centuries and therefore created a lot of mayhem. You know, Western civilization stands out for some accomplishments, especially science, but it also people should remember we had such atrocities under this civilization. We only think of Genghis Khan and uh, people of that ilk, Attila de Hun, but actually uh, British, the conqueror, <laughs> did much mm-hmm. of the mayhem too. Uh, the world wars that were fought in Europe between yeah. those people, these did it too. So, um, you know, uh, all that is uh, part of that God's will. So the new understanding of God's will is very different, and this is where the oneness comes in, the one-wayness, the um, directionality. When you look at evolution, we find that the fossil data clearly shows that there is an evolution from simple fossils to very complex fossils. And this complexity cannot come from Darwinism. So Darwinian theory of evolution is a failure. It doesn't work. This is the most open secret of biologists, but they are very afraid to acknowledge it in public because they think then the creationists will get an upper hand, and they don't want that. Nor do I. No thinking person should support creationism. That's, again, a religious uh, dogma. Just as Darwinism is a scientific dogma. So dogmas can be both ways, though. So we must refuse both dogmas and recognize that evolution is an evolution of consciousness. This way we avoid Darwinism, we also avoid creationism. Consciousness is not creationism is not creating according to this white uh, emperor in a throne. It's creating according to the movement of consciousness, which is all of us. So it's a, it's a, it's a um, um, very different theory. It's a creative theory, creativity, choice, which choice. So 
So what do we choose? What does the totality choose? And when you look at the data, we find that the totality choice is to write down, manifest the positive emotional brain circuits in us so that we can be better. How? Because we have negative emotional brain circuits built into the brain. And this is uh, what causes much of the mayhem that I talked about. For example, this will to dominate, this domination, violent way of dominating. This is affecting everything. Right now, you know, we've already talked about Washington. I don't want to get into too much of it. Um, But but the truth is, where is it coming from? One person trying to dominate everyone. No? And this is not the way democracy works. We have to share our power, and ultimately the objective is to give the power to people. Uh, as Lincoln recognized long ago, democracy is the government of the people, by the people, for the people. Uh, so coming back to this again, so how do we um, uh, not give in to this negative emotional brain circuits if we have positive emotional brain circuits? How does a Martin Luther King, a Mahatma Gandhi, a Nelson Mandela can lead people in a power-sharing way. How do they do it? And they do it because they have these positive emotional brain circuits. They have made them by lifelong dedication to live in the transformative way. And we can all choose that. When we choose that, and um, then we are going with the movement of consciousness. The movement of consciousness right now is moving in the direction for giving people the prerogative and the problems, we realize that, look, this is so important that it's showing up even in our politics. That, and, and that shows the urgency that, look, everybody has to do it. We cannot just say that let that one person change his ways. No, it doesn't work that way. That one person is also us. So what it's telling is that we all have to be dedicated towards making these changes and bring this about, this transformation, which makes positive emotional brain circuits in the brain, which compensates the violent tendencies so totally that we cannot be violent anymore. And that is the future of humanity. When that happens, we become peaceful. When that happens, we can thrive in all other creative directions. And humanity can make leaps and bounds in terms of creative progress. Yeah, and you know what you said, you said something very, very important, um, and you say it throughout the book, and that is that there is a point that we are all at right now in this country, let's just say, and it taps into when you talk about the meaning and purpose of life and what is in front of us to explore in this life, the time that we are here now, uh, what we explore about our own sense of being, our own consciousness, and our own purpose. And the thing that I hear folks saying most is, my purpose now is to have a voice. And I hear that over and over again. Mm -hmm. And some people are more about, I have to find my voice. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing, and I would love for you to talk about this, is what I'm hearing is not having a voice is becoming very uncomfortable for people. Yes, yes. And this is very important to recognize. We were talking about chakras earlier. 
Yeah. Uh, let's go over into the chakras a little bit. Yes. Um, the most interesting chakras of positive emotion is the heart chakra, where we experience love. And fortunately, this part is built into us. We all have experiences of romantic love. We all have experiences of motherly love. So this is very important. Now, love is an archetype. Um, that is very easy to grasp because you cannot catch love completely by uh, feeling it. You cannot ca- catch love completely by thinking it. So we recognize that, no, love must be a little bit beyond that, a little bit beyond that even. is a little mysterious, you know, um, like that song. I look at love from both sides now. And yeah. Still somehow, you know, love has its yeah. mysteries. So, um, uh, so then we, 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 we recognize that love is an archetype. It cannot be completely analyzed in terms of thinking, nor can it be feel, felt in terms of feeling. So are there other archetypes uh, that should be important for us? That's the next question. But before archetypes um, can be investigated or explored, uh, we need to expand ourselves. We need to learn to how to express. And this is why the next chakra, the chakra of expression, is so important. Why do people feel so stymied when they don't have that power to express? Why is it that freedom of speech is the most important freedom, the most important, most coveted freedom of all of the freedom? You read the you know, Bill of Rights, the, the yeah. freedom of speech is the very top of our freedoms that has to be gained, has to be given uh, in order to be called a democracy. And this freedom of speech, when that goes away, read the book 1984, that's when uh, that's the biggest problem with dictatorships and the the biggest problem of being shut up, that's the biggest problem of not having to express ourselves. Because unless we satisfy that, unless we learn to do that, we we cannot investigate, we cannot explore the archetypes, which comes in the next chakra, the chakra that we call third eye. Why is it called third eye in spiritual tradition? Because when that eye opens, then not only I can experience love, not only I can explore love, but I can explore justice, truth, abundance, all of those archetypes that I want to explore. And human beings must be um, uh, given access to those. You know, after all, you know, this is a country where we live with a constitution where liberty and justice for all is promised. Yes. Where all people are created equal is explicitly stated. This is a unique country with a unique constitution. We should never forget that. That's what being an American means. So, of course, we are very concerned that we are not being heard. Our voices are are being more and more locked up because our politicians are behaving in a very weird way and siding with wrong. And this is not right, and we know it. Thank you so much, first of all, for joining me here today. I want to thank you, and thank you for writing a book that literally brings us into action in the times we live in. Thank you so much for today. You are so welcome, Pat. For those of you that missed any part of this, please know that we will play this again. Dr. Goswami, thank you for everything you do. One last question. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with? 
Well, the personal message right now is actually to um, invite you to be a quantum activist. And towards that, I am teaching starting this weekend a um, quantum physics um, and quantum enlightenment uh, video course for a month under the auspices of an organization called Lightwing. If you go to my website, amitgoswami.org, you will find that description of this workshop. If you feel so inclined as to follow some of these things that Dr. Pat and I talked about, explore some of these things, then this workshop may be very helpful to you. I, I love it. Thank you, Dr. Goswami, everyone. Let's take a short break. Coming up another hour on Transformation Talk Radio. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. 